And I want to continue what I, what I started last Sunday because I feel the continuation of the leading of the Spirit. I, I want, last Sunday I spoke to you from this 2 Samuel, is it 23? 23, yes. About Beniah, the lion chaser, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. So I'm going to read this so that you can rehearse, your, uh, uh, rehearse our journey. But then I want to take you later on after we've gotten into the Word to Judges chapter 6. Oh, precious Jesus. And you're finding that there's a lot of excellent opportunities, church, during the week to minister and to receive ministry and teaching here at South Metro Ministries. Tomorrow evening being no exception. Women's Bible study, the book of James. Men's quest for authentic manhood. Men's prayer time. Thursday evening, Financial Peace University. Wednesday evening, Bible study. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities to learn and grow. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. Beniah was the son of Johada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many mighty deeds, or many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Beniah, the son of Jehoda, did, and won a name among thirty mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he didn't attain to the first three. And David anointed him over his guards, appointed him, pardon me, over his guards. So you put the slide up for today's lesson. And probably what would be a three-week series of lessons on locking eyes with your lion, I want to call the attention to impossible odds today. Thank you, Jesus. Because I'm talking to some people here today who are facing impossible odds. And you're going to come out just fine. I'm, I'm talking to some people here today who are overcomers of impossible odds. Did you, not, did you hear me? I'm talking to some people whom the doctor says you have so many months and here it's been five years and, and you're doing mighty good because God specializes in things seem impossible. Can I get another witness? I'm talking to some people who thought that uh, how could I ever survive this divorce? I never wanted it. Didn't ask for it. Wasn't in my agenda. When I said I do at the altar, it wasn't options or an option for me. I have no trade, I have no career, I have no place to go live, I don't have a house, I don't have an apartment. How in the world will I ever make it? Impossible odds. And while you never asked for the divorce, you didn't have a choice, but it went on through. You are here today as not just a survivor, but an overcomer, because God specializes in hurting people who need His help. And we can go on. And I will in a moment. Stretch your hands in my direction. Would you pray with me that whatever impossible odds would come against you receiving this word this morning and me delivering it would be squelch? Would you pray that way? My Father, I thank you right now. I have no desire, God, to just keep the people long and bore them. I have no desire to rely on the arm of my flesh. But I do have a desire to be an instrument and a vessel to give them word and wisdom that you, O oh God, give to us. They don't come from me. It comes from you. And I pray that I would be an instrument. That you would touch my body and touch my mind and touch me, O God, that I would have the oracle and the unction of the Lord and His Word. And touch us all today, God. I, I pray, O God, that we would not be challenged or distracted by things of the flesh or the devil who would try to make us sacrifice the best on the altar of the good. So I pray, O God, for freedom, liberty, 
and deliverance comes from knowing you and obeying you in Christ's name. And everybody say amen. 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 As you are seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Church, what blesses me uh, so many times is, or I should say are the stories of people who defy the odds. I I like those kind of stories. Athletically, I I think about people breaking records of previous athletes. Resisting and overcoming the challenge of human stamina and even natural challenges of the elements to break the record, defy the odds. That blesses me. What blesses me are true stories of people surviving storms, literal storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, defying the odds, shipwrecks, airplane disasters, rather uh, intense accidents that were life-threatening and defying the odds. And they've had the surgery and they've went to the therapy and they've got the crutches and they've been in the wheelchair, but they kept pressing on. And defy the odds. And now they're back on their journey. People surviving cancer. Heart disease. Heart attacks. Strokes. Could have died from it. Looking at the odds, probably should have died from it. But by the power of God, personal perseverance. Self-motivation. I can do it. God will help me. It happened. And so, what I've come to do this morning is to to tell you, among other things I'd like to tell you, is that God loves impossible odds. No, you all didn't hear that. You all sound like it's four o'clock in the morning. I don't know, I already preached this, but help me out, somebody. Impossible odds set the stage for amazing miracles. So we'll take Benaiah, since I read about him. Okay, let me, let me refresh you where, where, where we came from with the odds for Benaiah. The Bible says that one of his first challenges was that he fought two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Benaiah had to be a two-to-one underdog in this fight. When he fought two of Moab's mightiest warriors, this was not a tag team wrestling match. Benaiah was double teamed, seemingly impossible odds. But he becomes a man of great notoriety because he doesn't let the odds come against him. So on another occasion, the Bible says he fought an Egyptian giant. He, Benaiah, had a club and a seven and a half foot giant of a man had a spear, pointy, sharp spear that was the length of a weaver's rod So it could be six to eight feet in length. One man with a club, another man with a spear. One man regular size, or maybe average height being five, seven, maybe to five, nine. The odds are against Benaiah fighting this Egyptian giant because the spear is sharp, it's long, it's dangerous. And a giant, if you know anything about boxing, the man with a longer reach... Taller is often more domineering, greater advantage. I'm trying to think about it. It was a fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Y'all know him? Muhammad Ali? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I used to hate him until he started winning all the fights. I used to hate his mouth. I used to think somebody needs to shut his mouth. But when he kept winning, I was like, go, man. 
You know, we short people. We just get all kinds of attitudes. Anyhow, how Benaiah got close enough to the Egyptian to grab him and kill him with his own spear had to be miraculous. And then I told you last week, just to highlight, that his third awesome encounter was that with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Talk about impossible odds. The Bible is silent on whether or not Benaiah even had a weapon when he faced a lion in a pit on a snowy day. We don't know that he had a weapon. One thing we know, he didn't have a hunting rifle. This was then a hand-to-paw, P-A-W, combat. I ain't getting very far with you people with my antics. (laughs) Benaiah had a significant physical disadvantage. Listen to this. A fully grown male lion weighs hundreds of pounds more, runs many miles per hour faster, and leaps much further than any man. Its jaws are powerful enough to bite through skull bones, and its canine teeth are used to rip through animal hides. And considering the fact that lions hunt everything from wildebeests to giraffes, Benaiah was a small prey. He was just the appetizer. The spinach and cheese dip before the lion got his real meal. Disadvantage. Along with physical disadvantages in facing a lion in a pit on a snowy day are two other disadvantages. One being topographical and the other being meteorological. I rehearsed those two big words so I could say them just that way. Topographical means, what was the terrain, the land, like when he took off chasing a lion? Was it mountainous? Was it steep? Was it deep and steep incline? Was it rocky? Was it smooth? Was it level? Because the lion has the advantage regardless of the terrain. I mean, when you got four legs as opposed to two, hello? How many know you got, you got some advantage speed? Then, meteorologically, it was a snowy day. No normal person chases a lion on any kind of day. Can I get a witness? I don't care if your mother-in-law is coming and you need to bring home dinner. You got enough sense on any kind of day. Don't go chasing lions. So, a pit is like a home for a lion. And with its paws and claws, the snow is no challenge for the lion. A lion's eyesight is five times better than a human's 20-20 vision, giving the lion a significant advantage in a poorly lit pit. And a sure-footed lion with cat-like reflexes certainly gains the upper pole in a snowy, slippery condition. So you have all that together, and Benaiah has the hundred-to-one long shot that he is not going to win this fight with a lion. And 
I, I told you that he wasn't some kind of crazy guy wanting to get on World's Book of Record and, and some kind of TV program. Didn't have it, Dan. He wasn't just chasing a lion because he had nothing else to do on a snowy day. He chased a lion that might have been a threat to the local orphanage. He chased a lion that might have been a threat to the, to the local villagers and their animals that were part of their livelihood. And so he was going to defeat something that was causing fear and defeat. Benaniah did what lion chasers do. And, and get this, if you will. He defied the odds. He did not focus on his disadvantages. Thank you, Jesus. He did not make excuses. He didn't try to avoid situations where the odds were against him. Lion chasers know that God is bigger and more powerful than any problem we can face in our world. Here's what I found out about lion chasers. I know some of them and I hope I'm going to be one of them. Lion chasers to me thrive in the toughest circumstances. Impossible odds set the stage for amazing miracles. I have come to learn that this is how God shows up in His omnipotence and His glory. When the odds are stacked against us or any of His children, oh help me Jesus, I have come to find out when we are cowering in our pit on a snowy day because the devil has attacked us or somebody else has, or there's something beyond our control and the odds are against us, that gives God the opportunity to show up in His glory, in His power, in His wisdom, and in His might. Say amen, somebody. It is possible, then, that God allows the odds to be stacked against us so that He can reveal more of His glory. There's a pattern in Scripture that I have discovered. It's repeated when I look at human struggles in the Bible and God's intervention. Here's the pattern. Sometimes God won't intervene until something is humanly impossible. Yes, church. And sometimes God won't intervene until what we call the nick of time. And that pattern simply defines one of God's personality dimensions. And that is, again, God loves impossible odds. I want to tell you this is not on the screen. I just want to, I just want to give you this as a freebie. A low view of God. If I say low view. And a high view of God. If I say high view. A low view of God and a high view of God are the difference between Scary cats and lion chasers. Oh, you, you all need to help me. I, I've never had a bigger brother, never had a brother in the natural sense. I have three sisters. And so I, I never, uh, you know, had the opportunity to pick a fight and say, wait till my bigger brother gets a hold of your face. You know, you can talk tough. You got somebody backing you up. Can, you got somebody getting your back. Can I get an amen? Huh? You can talk tough. And, and I'm saying to tell you, that, that we understand that, that how, write this down, how you think of God will determine who you become. If God only as big as your human mind, you won't go very far. If you can't figure it out and you figure God can't figure it out, you won't be a lion chaser. 
If you figure since I can't pay the bills, God can't figure a way for me to pay it, you will not be a lion chaser. Your view of God, if you have a high view of God and your faith is in God and your perspective comes from who God is and whether or not the odds are stacked against you, if you have a high view of God, you can leap over walls, you can run through troops, you can scale mountaintops because God is your warrior. Somebody praise the Lord. Again, I tell you, how you think of God will determine who you become. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, let, 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 me, let me go to something else. Let me tell you that there is a beautiful account in Judges chapter 6, of which you've turned to, and I want to read to you six verses from Judges 6, about this wonderful thing of God's power in spite of the odds. There's a man by the name of Gideon. He is among his fellow Hebrews, Israelites, and they are under the dominion, lion-like dominion, of a people known as the Midianites and the Amalekites. The Bible says in Judges 6 and 1, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, when they sown their seeds in the soil for eventual harvest, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. The book of Judges is about the children of Israel obeying and disobeying. The children of Israel disobeying, crying out to God for help, and he raises up a leader, and he blesses them again, and they go their way thanking them for a while, and then they backslide. And the children of Israel here got in a particular predicament where the odds were significantly against them because they disobeyed God. If you sin, God's going to leave you to the consequences of sin if you don't turn and change after numbers of opportunity. He's going to leave you to yourself. If you obey God, love God, serve God, do what is right in spite of the odds, He's going to be your victor and your victory. Well, the Israelites sinned. The Midianites came in. The, the Israelites, they, they, their own survival was threatened. They couldn't live anymore on, on the plains and in their own homes and places where they had their own gardens and the fruits and, and they had the animals and their ranch. The Midianites were so much and the Amalekites were so much, they took everything. And every year, the Israelites now no, no, were living in, in mountain caves and dens. Can I get a witness? Is that what the Bible says? They were living in, in, in nooks and crannies of the geography, always looking around every year to see where the Midianites were, where the Amalekites were. Every year they would sow a little garden near where they were living, someplace in, in a hiding place. In, in the springtime, they would put the seed, they would till the soil, 
looking all the time for Amalekites and Midianites. And, and then they would go to, to, to weed the garden, looking. And they would anxiously wait for the crops to come in a few, maybe two or three months later, because that would be their sustenance. That's the only way that they could live and their children could live. And when the crops were ready to harvest, here comes the Bible says, verse 5, for the, 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 the enemy would come in with their livestock, their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number. They would enter the land to destroy it. Just when the Israelites had a little hope, I'll get a little meal, I'll get a little food, I'll, I'll feed my family. Like a swarm of locusts, the enemy came in. God sent an angel to a man by the name of Gideon and said, you are to be the one to lead them. I'm going to call you because the people cried out to me. How many are glad that when you cry out, even though you don't deserve it, God hears your prayers eventually? Say amen to that. Yes, when you cry out to go, oh, hallelujah. They cried out. God raised up Gideon. Gideon said, whoa, 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 not me. No, 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 no. Not me. I'm from the least of my family. The tribe of Manasseh. No, no, I'm a farmer by trade. I'm not a soldier. Don't be calling me. What do I know about fighting Amalekites and Midianites and termites? A little extra there, a little uh, increasing the odds. <laughs> They're everywhere, so I don't think I missed it. <laughs> I wish I'd stay with my notes. Don't you, Brother Sammy? You won't have to pray so hard on the prayer team if I could just stay with my notes. So, here, here, Gideon's like Alan Matura. You got one in prayer claw somewhere down here. Yeah, yeah, you got one here. He puts out a fleece, a fleece, okay? He, a fleece is, a, is that of a sheepskin, okay? And let's imagine this is a fleece. And he says, I want to be sure God's calling me a farmer to lead these people against these locust number enemies. Make sure I ain't having no bad dream, you know? I want to be a hero, so he puts this fleece, takes sheepskin, puts it on the ground, like such. Imagine this is it, okay? And he says, God, if you are calling me to lead these people against all these odds, I want by tomorrow morning for the sheepskin to be wet with dew from heaven and all the ground around the sheepskin, uh, not immediately, but all around it, be dry. Then I'll know that you're God. And I'm only the people, even though the odds. He gets up the next morning, takes up the sheepskin, and wrings it. I mean, it's got water. He, he gathers water from it. And there's no water anywhere around beyond the sheepskin. And he's thinking, look what the Lord has done. <laughs> but he is like Alan Matura. And there are a few others like us out there. Nah, maybe that was a fluke. That was just a, one of them nights where it only do on sheepskins. I'll put it down again. Are you all with me? Did he, did he do it? Did he do it? You know, and it's just like us, we humans. And he says, God, I want you to do something. One more time. I, I beg your pardon to challenge you, God, or, or to ask you another. But now let the sheepskin be dry. The fleece be dry. And all the ground around the fleece be wet and soggy. And when I get up tomorrow morning, that's the case, I'm going after me, Midianites. What does God do? 
He wets the ground all around. He wets the grass. He wets the, the flowers. He wets the trees and the leaves. And, 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 and Gideon gets up in the morning and the thing is dry as a cracker. Wow. Now, you keep doing that game with God, he's going to say, you ain't serious about chasing no lions. I'm going to find me somebody else. God's not interested in playing back and forth. He'll give you a time or two or three if you're going to get on board with him. But if not, he's going to find somebody else who wants to chase lions and defy the odds and trust him. There will never be a perfect moment for you to chase lions. Did you all hear what I say? But there is a perfect moment for you to trust God. Now, now I'm hurrying to say that Gideon said, okay. He blew the trumpet. 32,000 came out. Ives says he had 32,000, but the enemy was as numerous as locusts. Have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? They were without number. So Gideon already knows I got 32,000. And then the Lord gives him a command that is contrary to expectations. Doesn't God do that? Your neck is already on the chopping block. You're already hanging out there by a, by a thread. And God goes and tells you to do something else completely contrary to what you thought he would tell you. God says to Gideon, the people who are with you, chapter 7 verse 2, the 32,000 who are with you are too many to give the Midianites into their hands. Contrary to expectation. Now, please understand, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. Please understand, Pentecostal preachers like me can have you in a very still, quiet moment. And we can go from ground zero silence to something like this. What do you mean, God? I got too many. <laughs> yeah, that's why my job is to keep you awake, honey. I don't know what you came to church for, but you will not sleep in this church while I'm preaching. If I can't sleep, you can't sleep. I preached some sermons that could put me to sleep, but I yelled my way through it. Pardon. Pardon my... Imposition, God. And I'm only a worm that you could step on me, but I, I need to suggest to you, if I'm getting, I'm thinking, I need to say, you might have misspoke, God. Uh, didn't you mean that I had too few? Uh, don't you mean for me to go back and blow the horn again and get me some more people to fight these Midianites? But God says, uh, Tell the people who are afraid to go home. The difference of scaredy cats and lion chasers is your view of God. 22,000 of them said, thank God. I only came in this land because my marriage was threatened or my boss was going to fire me or my mama grabbed me by the ear and threw me in here. 22,000 shaking in their boots, their knees knocking, their jaw clamoring, their, oh, they're sweating. Thank God for a way out. 
Gideon's thinking, now I got 10,000. And contrary to expectations, God says, you still got too many. Yeah. You ever got in the middle of a mess and thought, why? How did I get here? To whom can I resign? But you're so far in it, to go back is... Okay, so I don't know about this, but God designs designs a way for all the 10,000 to go get a drink of water at the local creek. He says, I'm going to thin your numbers out. So he says, separate those who drink water from the creek by going to the creek and taking their handful and bringing the water to their mouth. From those who go down to the creek and lay on their belly like this and lap water like a dog. 9,700 lap water. I mean, drink, drink, drink with their hands like this. And 300 lap the water. Get it, oh, my Lord. Now I got 9,700. No. I'm going to take the 300. Can I get a witness here? <laughs> oh, my Lord. And so, I'm telling you that he has 300 men with an army that in chapter 8 numbers 135,000 Midianites. Can I get a witness here? 300 against 135,000. That's some impossible odds. It gets better. Then God tells Gideon to attack the Midianites with trumpets and jars. Yes. Yes. Have you ever heard of a military victory using trumpets? So you can't sleep here. And jars. Wait a minute, God. But God specializes in things seem impossible. And I'm going to give you another thought here. And I know I'm being a little lighthearted in some of this, but I hope you're getting it. God seldom or almost never uses your plan. Because if He uses your plan and you get the victory, you're going to thank Him for lending you a hand. God's not interested in getting partial credit. Y'all didn't hear me. Did you hear me? I, I, I I need to tell you that the Lord told Gideon, divide the 300 men he had left into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitcher. What kind of plan is that? Your business is to obey God. If the encouragers quit encouraging, if the blessers quit blessing, if people saying, now you completely lost your mind, but you know you have a word from God, your business is to go get you a trumpet, get you a jar, and get you, get you a torch, and just keep doing what God told you to do. I'm hurrying here. The strategy is this. He divided 300 people into groups of 103 groups. They went late at night when the enemy couldn't discern their number. And Gideon took him 100 and went to this side of the camp, lined them all the way around the Midianites who were sleeping that night to get up the next morning to fight. The Midianites, 135,000, knew Gideon and his people were coming the next morning because they'd heard the trumpet blow and the, the, the Israelites come out of the caves, the dens, the caverns. 
Gideon is over here with 100 men. They got trumpet jars and pitchers. He sends another 100 here, a group of 100 trumpet jars and pitchers. And he sends another, and they surround the Midianites. And Gideon says, you do what I do. What you see me do, my 100 do, you do. It is night. It is pitch dark. They've surrounded the enemy, and the enemy don't even know them. And without expectation from the enemy, the Bible says Gideon breaks the jar. Bam! His hundred guys break the jar. When they see them breaking the jar, it's a clay jar. It makes a lot of noise, okay? And it carries off in the valley. When they see them break the jar, the hundred guys over here do the same thing that Gideon hundred do. And when these hundred do it, then this other hundred see it, they break the jar. Simultaneously, after breaking the jar, each of them, Gideon puts a trumpet to his mouth. His hundred men put a trumpet to their mouth. And they blow the trumpet loud. It's like a ram's horn is what I'm talking about. Like a trumpet. And they blow loud. This other hundred over here blow it the loudest they can. When that crowd hears them blowing, they blow their horns. And then after they blow their horns, they took the torch way up in the sky and waved it. And when these Midianites got up in the middle of the night in a deep sleep, they thought what really was happening was that there were 3,000 horns that they heard. They thought they might have heard 300,000 trumpets blowing. They thought they might have, when when the jars cracked all the way through the valley, and the noise came and the torches came. They thought they were surrounded by many more people than they were. The Bible said in the confusion, the Midianites started killing themselves, destroyed themselves. Gideon chased the rest of them down. And in spite of the odds, God gave them their miracle. You ought to put your hands together and thank God, somebody. Come on, do a better job than that. Cut this off for me. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for Kleenex. I'm doing a, facing a little odds here, you know. So, so what, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if, if with 32,000 men, Gideon and the people had ran off the Midianites and destroyed them, they'd have sent God a thank you note for lending us a hand. God's not interested in partial praise. He's interested in full credit, full praise. And when you could take 300 men and kill and destroy 135,000 and reclaim your home, your land, your property and all that you have in the name of God you won't send God no thank you note and you won't give him a little old praise with your little pinky fingers. If God's brought you from hell and back, from the intensive care and back, saved your marriage, gave you a job bless your mind, caused you to live, you won't have no little praise you'll break some jars, some torches, blow some horns because God is a good God. Come on and praise Him. No. You hear me? I got people sitting in this house today. The devil said, You are gone. You are dead. But you are alive today by the power of God. Yeah. Be seated just a moment. <laughs> Hallelujah. My, my. You know what our problem is? It's my problem a lot of time. We're just praying to God. Reduce the odds. Reduce the odds. Reduce the odds. Help me hear somebody. God, I just want everything in my favor before I trust you. Come on, help me preach here, somebody. Will you write this down? Faith is trusting God no matter how impossible the odds. If you could do it by yourself, God will let you do it by yourself. But there's some things you can't do by yourself. Only God can do And he wants to show himself strong. And some of you right now, the odds are against you. But God is saying, 
if you'll praise me anyhow. Because listen to this, our impossible situations are opportunities to experience a new dimension of God. So I'm going to see if I can wrap it up with these thoughts. Two major thoughts here, and I'm going to see if I can tie it all together. If you are going to chase lions, defy the odds, get God fighting for you, you've got to face your fears. And number one, you have to unlearn senseless worries and misguided beliefs that keep you captive. You know, sometimes you've got to unlearn some of the stuff you learned because there's a better way of doing it now. You all didn't hear me. I am not technologically talented. So I have to have people to teach me and help me. Cell phones. I mean, are you serious? Serious? What's her name? iPhone 4. What's her name? Siri, right? Hey, come on, you all know her name. Don't you get a queen? You, you know, you ask her, where am I? What's the weather like? Well, that's beat, that beats typing it in and all that. Unlearn that stuff. They tell me that there's a difference between a PC and a Mac. Computers. Can I get a witness to somebody? Huh? How many of you prefer the Mac? Ain't no, no big Mac. I'm talking about the regular. <laughs> they tell me that the Mac, you have to unlearn some of the stuff you learn from a PC. But once you do it, honey, you're on your way. People who like sports... You go out with some friends and you go golfing. Yeah, you know, you, your friend tells you, well, you know, you grip it like this, or you grip it like that, you swing like this, you turn like this. You look at the ground, you look at, you know. You do that for a while. And, you know, you really have no training, but that's all you know. You don't go but once every month. Like me, you go about once every ten years. But you go, you think to yourself, you know, I've dug too many divots. I've made too many holes. I've lost too many golf balls. I need to get some professional help. If I'm going to stay playing golf. You know what the, what the pro will tell you? Most likely the pro will say, forget everything you ever learned from anybody. You've got to unlearn some stuff. There, listen to me. You've you got to face your fears and conquer them. And, and how you do that is you've got to unlearn some and, I, and I'm hurrying. There are some senseless worries that we take on that didn't come from God. Somebody came along and told you, well, God operates this kind of way, and God this, this, so and so, and God, and it didn't come from God. It's senseless. It's misguided beliefs. What do you mean, Pastor? Somebody came along and said, if I give my life to Jesus, I will have to give up so much. I'm going to tell you something about anybody who's ever had a meaningful walk with God. Anybody who loves Jesus, been born again, washed in the blood, and love Him, they will tell you, like my father says, about serving the Lord. When told, i got to give up so much. My dad is 81 years old. He got saved at eight, age 17 from Hinduism. He preaches today. He's probably preaching now. No, he doesn't preach like me. He's probably finished. <laughs> My dad will tell you, if I have one regret, Brother Sammy, if I have one regret as a Christian, is I didn't start serving Jesus sooner. A song says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. You listen to me, a man of experience in serving Jesus. Not a man of excellence, but experience. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, there are difficult days and there are days when the odds are against me. But it is, as one writer says, joy unspeakable and full of glory serving Jesus. Did anybody hear me? 
anything you have to give up for serving Jesus, God will replace with many more things that the half has not been told. So down with that dumb idea that you got to lose your joy. You ever seen any preacher happier than me in the pulpit? And I ain't half a cough syrup or coffee. While they come. Senseless worry. I have to work and earn my salvation and forgiveness. Maybe I'll get into the kingdom or maybe not. God only saves 144,000 of the people of the Jews. And God has this, this, this business of uh, predestination. There are those that God has predestined to save. And some will not be saved. And you don't know whether you're one of those or not. So keep striving. That is not the teaching of this book. Jesus said, Whosoever believeth in me, whosoever, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever means everybody. Jesus said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You don't know where I've been, what I've done, how I did it, and how long. And you're probably right. I don't know, and I don't have to know. But if you'll confess and repent, he, you don't have to buy your way, earn your way, inherit your way. It's a lie from the devil. Grace. God's grace. I, I, I'm hurrying. This, this senseless worry. If I tithe and give my offerings, I, I will not have enough to live on. I want to tell you something. God's plan of your financial prosperity says, if you will trust me and give me 10%, the 90% you have left over, I will multiply and bless so that you will not miss the 10%. But I will bless you in ways and by means of protection, provision, plenty, healing, miracles that money cannot buy. God says, you know, let's listen to this argument. Ask the woman who gave her last bit of meal and last bit of oil to the prophet of God when he requested during a famine if she didn't have enough to live on all through the famine and beyond. Yeah. Ask the boy who gave God his five loaf and two fish and Jesus fed 5,000. How much leftover was there that day? Twelve baskets left over. Will God take care of us? Yes, he will. I, 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 I'm hurrying here. Senseless. It's God's will to heal some people, but not me. It's God's will to heal whomsoever he wills. And the Bible says... That he is no respecter of persons. I do not know how he times healing. Some instantaneous, some progressive. But I know healing comes from God. And I'm going to keep praying as if I'm a, to be healed. Because I've been healed. God's not answering my prayers because he's punishing me. How many times will the devil tell you that? Can I get a witness here? So I guess I better quit praying, quit going to church, quit tithing, quit... Because what my children did, or my father did, or my mother did, or I did it before I got saved, God's punishing me. Listen, brothers, God's not some kind of sick God who gets pleasure out of punishing His children. Sometimes God's not answering our prayers for this reason. He's preparing us for something greater. An opportunity of a lifetime. When David was keeping his father's flock, God didn't answer all his prayers. David prayed over the protection of his father's flock, I'm pretty sure, 
But lions came to steal the sheep. Can I get an amen? A bear came to steal the sheep. And must, David must be wondering, God, I, I'm doing my best here, and, and my father's counting on me to take care of the flock, and, 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 and here, all these predators. And so he took matters in his hand and got real good with a slingshot. Little did he know that later on there'd be a Goliath. That one precise stone. Oh, anybody hearing me? You know, you know why David hired Benaiah as his chief bodyguard? Because David was a lion chaser. I'm telling you. Didn't he chase the lion on one occasion and took the lamb out of the lion's mouth and destroyed the lion with his bare hands? And when Saul said to David, you can't fight the Goliath, the giant called Goliath because he's nine feet and more tall. You're just a little ruddy teenage boy. David said, I got me a testimony. God caused me to keep praying and practicing while I was out there. Didn't answer all my prayers because he was saving me for this one opportunity where with a sling and a stone and the anointing and his power and the odds against me, he would elevate me to king one day. Give a Lord a hand, clap somebody. And then stand, 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 stand. Oh, blessed be God. I want you, in Jesus' name, oh, hallelujah. I want you to lift up both your hands. I want you to want your feet established on the ground. And I want you to thank God and think about one time when the odds were against you. And open up your mouth, even, even if it sounds like a lion. I don't care. If any time you remember right now when the odds were against you and God came through, praise Him. Come on, come on, praise Him. Thank you, Jesus. Sing, brother. Come on, begin to praise Him with me. Come on, the praises brings His power. now. Just tarry with me another moment. The odds are against you, but worship God anyhow. Come on. Make yourself.